Welcome to episode 29 of the Pharmatech podcast. I'm Kristen Harm, associate editor of Pharmatech magazine and our podcast host. Pharmatech magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. This week's podcast is sponsored by QXMD, an HCP engagement platform that drives disease awareness and best-in-class therapies. Visit qxmd.com DSA to discover how QXMD can help you to educate and engage clinicians worldwide. Again, that's qxmd.com DSA. Okay, so today's podcast interview was conducted by our European editor, Julian Upton. He attended this year's I for Pharma Barcelona, where he caught up with Johnson & Johnson's Ben Wiegand, who heads J&J's World Without Disease Accelerator Unit. Dr. Wiegand was there to moderate a panel, which was called Uniting Patients, Providers, and Payers to Bring Preventative Care to Life. So Julian spoke with him after the session to find out a little bit more about J&J's disease prevention and interception activities. So we're going to take a really quick break, and then we'll play Julian's interview for you. So every year, PharmaExec profiles the Woman of the Year from Healthcare Business Women's Association. And the really cool thing is that this is the 30th annual HBA Woman of the Year. I'm really honored to say that I had a chance to speak with this year's winner, Sharon Callahan, for the profile in our April issue of PharmaExec. Sharon is the Chief Client Officer of Omnicom Health Group and CEO of TBWA World Health. I'm also really excited to tell you guys that later on in this episode, Sharon shares with you some of her best leadership advice. So be sure to keep listening to hear Sharon's leadership tip and look out for her profile in this month's issue of PharmaExec, which you can find at PharmaExec.com. Hey there, podcasters. Today's podcast is a discussion that Julian Upton had with Dr. Ben Wiegand from J&J while he was attending the I for Pharma Barcelona event last month. So, Julian, take it away. Thanks, Kristen. Yes, over in Barcelona at the I for Pharma event um, in mid-March, I was fortunate to speak to Dr. Ben Wiegand, who leads uh, the World Without Disease Accelerator unit uh, within Johnson & Johnson. That's a unit that's uh, developed from their disease interception accelerator and um, is now uh, concerned with transforming the healthcare model from disease care to healthcare um, and enable a future without disease. The mission specifically is to develop and co commercialize new products and solutions to prevent, intercept and cure disease, leveraging advances in life science and digital technologies to target the root cause and progression of diseases with significant clinical unmet need and economic burden. Initially their focus is uh, going to be in lung cancer, obesity and type 1 diabetes. Um, the first question I put to Ben though is about the title. Uh, head, head of the world without disease accelerator. It sounds very ambitious, it sounds obviously very noble, um, but I wondered just how, how realistic uh, is, is, is you know, reaching for a world without disease. 
Uh, so I'd say a few things. I think uh, number one is I think you need to have a bold vision to attract bold people to work with you. And I think part of this is about I don't think any one individual or any one organization is going to be able to do it by themselves. I think you can need a broader, you know, a broader group. And so I think that's the boldness of that. I think is critical. Even though it's bold, though, I think it is one person at a time. You know, I, I, I've shared this with a couple people. You know, you know, when my father um, had a had a heart attack a couple years ago. He was in Illinois. I was in Pennsylvania. Jumped on a plane to see him. You know, he comes out of out of surgery. He opens his eyes, and the first questions he asks me is, "What could I have done to prevent this?" Right. And so the idea is, and when I talk to Bill, you know, who's my boss, Dr. Hyde, he says, "No one ever comes to me and says, I'm so glad that you're my doctor." Right. People don't want that. And so the idea of ridding disease is what people want. And so we need to think about it differently. And I would say, when we often think about things. Um, incrementally, we get incremental solutions. So by thinking of it bold, it really gave us, you know, a white sheet of paper yeah. to say, okay, let's start from ground zero. How do we best do it? What are the capabilities of doing it? And to be fair, if we would have thought incrementally, you may have just said, well, I have these people. Let's work them a little bit. You know, let's let's try to reorganize them. And I think that boldness is is really important. And while while it may not be reached tomorrow. I think what you saw in some of these diseases, you're starting to see elements of how you could get there in the very near future. Now I noted that Ben uh, had begin, been given um, quite a lot of uh, freedom uh, with this with this unit, and uh, in order to to progress its activities. But I I wanted to know what kind of timeline was in place, what kind of measurables were in place, how were they charting the success of what he's doing here. I feel very strongly that, you know, in Johnson & Johnson, our chief scientific officer is Paul Stoffels, and Paul's always said, you take the risk, I'll support you. So, and I, I believe we work within that environment. That being said, look, if, if we get to the place, part of it, I think, is my responsibility as a leader to say, Paul, we're three years in, we're five years in, we've made no discernible progress is this the best use of the talent that you have because we i do believe we are attracting the best talent within and outside of johnson and johnson to come so we have very clear deliverables over a one-year time frame three-year time frame five-year time frame um that i think you know you probably know this we have four products in the clinic today um i don't we're not we're not our deliverables not all four have to have positive you know clinical results but the key thing for us is answer i you know we've chose disease states that we thought we understood that we had a huge clinical and met need. You know, the consumers were in, or patients were interested in it. The payer system said, yeah, if you could solve this, this would be a good thing. The IFA Pharma conference had uh, started with a keynote from Allegan's Brent Saunders. Um, one of the things he said was that, you know, we do have the technology, do have the skills to to make a lot of advances in, in a lot of diseases, but in some cases, the will isn't there. Um, the, you know, the behavior of, of patients doesn't always change and that makes it more difficult to uh, apply this technology and these solutions. So I asked Ben about how in the world without the world without disease accelerator they were dividing this or balancing the, the lifestyle diseases with the, the more autoimmune diseases or the diseases that are not linked to lifestyle. How, how were they finding a balance uh, between approaching these? So I would say two thoughts. So we, one of the, when we went back and said, how do we change the model from disease care to health care, right? So from sick care to health care. We've said, look, let's try to understand, in this case, this is a, a biology a biology curve. We've also said, to, to what Brent was talking about this morning, let's not think about behavioral phenotypes. And so what we find is 
people all, people respond differently to behavioral solutions. And so behavioral science is about, okay, I know you, how do I help someone quit smoking? So I can use cognitive behavioral therapy, I can use behavioral economics, I can use different approaches there. Different than, why do people smoke in the first place? So we're trying to understand both, the neurobiology of addiction as well as behavioral science. To your point, what we're trying to realize is, look, there's going to be some people that are much more open to behavioral science approaches and, and well, let's call it this phenotyping those and going after those first, and then trying to expand this phenotype base over time to make a difference. As you said, when you have autoimmune reactions, that's not your choice, right? Your body just quits recognizing self versus non-self, starts attacking self and going forward. On the behavioral side, we're trying to be much more um, behavioral science-based and use not just social media. What you find out is this. Um, there's work that's been done by um, some researchers, researchers um, at, at Yale University that says people that are overweight seem to surround themselves with people that are overweight. Okay. And so their norm says, I'm fine because everyone else is around them. People that smoke surround themselves with people that smoke, right? And so again, their norm. So how can we use, how can we use social um, networking to our advantage versus our disadvantage? But then once you get in that space, how do you find the right phenotypes to make the biggest difference? So this field is, is, is years behind the fields of immunology and oncology we're investing in, leading it, not doing it all ourselves to try to start answering some of those critical questions, again, that you could answer in a year. Make it, figure out if you learn, if you can, let's build on it. If you can't, then let's go answer another question. And now a word from our sponsor. This week's podcast is sponsored by QXMD, an HCP engagement platform that drives disease awareness and best-in-class therapies. Visit qxmd.com slash DSA to discover how QXMD can help you to educate and engage clinicians worldwide. Again, that's qxmd.com slash DSA. Okay, Julian, back to you. Thanks, Kristen. Could you tell us, Ben, a little bit about uh, the importance of partnerships for the World uh, Without Disease Accelerator, and what kind of partnerships you're forging? So let me just a couple more on type 1 while you're there. So we work very closely with JDRF. It used to be called the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, but now they're just JDRF. They invest uh, many, many tens of millions a year in research. Our partnership with them helps us direct where they spend money, as well as helps us to understand the, the advocacy of the patient, to make sure we're always keeping the patient in mind. Um, we also are in, in type 1 diabetes working with a professor, Emily Unanwe, out of Washington University. Um, one of the best, he's a Lasker Prize winner in immunology, who's helping us better understand the foundational biology here, right? The other areas we're working in, so I'm going to fo focus a little bit on, on CRC or colorectal cancer. We have partnerships with re uh, universities in New York State where we're looking at the role of the microbiome in colorectal initiation as well as progression, right? And so once we confirm it with those patients who are these individuals who are actually looking at patients on a day-to-day -day basis, we can understand that we don't want to build our own registries. We don't want to build our own um, longitudinal samples we can leverage from that. Once we get leads from that, then those will turn into drugs or other solutions. could be a microbial solution that we could provide later on, yeah. on the way. So we're working with um, academic institutions, um, uh, small biotechs, um, as well as you may have seen recently, and this is, um, 
I would think of as a platform example, we're a part of the relationship with Apple. So we, I don't know if you saw that, but we signed a deal, a research collaboration with Apple to say, can we use the iWatch platform to identify atrial fibrillation earlier, which we think can prevent stroke. Now, we don't have a big program in stroke ourselves. Um, the, uh, in, the, in the World Without Disease Accelerator, we have a CVM business that sells, uh, has solutions for that space. But what we're trying to say is in this population this morning, 65 plus, multiple comorbidities, are there other things that um, um, iWatch platform could help us identify to get us ahead of disease? Um, and so those are examples. Um, sometimes we make them public, sometimes we don't yeah. make them public, but give us a range of Apple big company, yeah. academic small company, and we're willing to work with whoever in between. Now, of course, accelerating a world without disease program is a very noble and bold gesture and one to be applauded. But I did also want to ask Ben perhaps a trite question, uh, but one that's probably on lots of people's minds when they hear about this. And that is what happens to a pharma company in a world without disease? That's a great question. I mean, part of this is said, we believe if you can understand someone who's susceptible and you can understand people's biomarking to progress, that company of the future will be the next Johnson & Johnson. Right. And we're already Johnson Johnson, why shouldn't it be us, right? So now, to be clear, look, in this, in this place, right, in this type 1 diabetes progression, if we could understand right here, at the earliest place that we're seeing a change in T-cell repertoire because there's some sort of a, a recognition, a loss of recognition of self versus non-self, my hope at some point, at some point, there will be a non-pharmaceutical solution there. Because I think yeah. if we get early enough, that amount of efficacy that you're going to need is going to be small enough. Today, those are drugs. And for the foreseeable future, there will probably be RNA solutions because you're needing tolerable, tolerizable vaccines or other antigen-specific therapies. Over time, though, I think you will see microbial solutions and other things that can get there. Yeah. And I would see in the world, now look, you're always going to need have the need for CAR-T therapies. You're always going to have the people, as you said, that unfortunately, even though they know they should be doing things, aren't going to do them. So there will be a need for some. Yeah. But in some ways, we do envision the role of pharma evolving yeah. significantly over time. So that was Dr. Ben Wiegand talking there about his work with the World Without Disease Accelerator. I think it'll be interesting to uh, keep an eye on how they progress over the next few years um, and uh, see what kind of advances they make and also to see how other pharma companies take inspiration from what J&J are doing there. So back to you, Kristen. Thanks. Thank you, Julian and Ben, for taking the time out of what is a pretty busy event over in Barcelona to share some insights with our listeners. We really appreciate it. And now it's time for this week's Leadership Tips from Pharma Execs. Hi, I'm Sharon Callahan, Chief Client Officer of Omnicom Health Group and CEO of TBWA World Health, and I'm the 2019 HBA Woman of the Year. My best leadership advice is to treat everyone with generosity and respect. Have integrity which means do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it or let people know that you can't do it as soon as you know you can't do it. And tell the truth. Always tell the truth. Thank you for listening. This week's podcast is sponsored by QXMD, an HCP engagement platform that drives disease awareness and best-in-class therapies. 
Visit qxmd.com slash DSA to discover how QXMD can help you to educate and engage clinicians worldwide. Again, that's qxmd.com slash DSA. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the Pharmazec staff is working on. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, on Instagram at farmexecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of Farmexec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email Editorial Director Lisa Henderson at lhenderson at mmhgroup.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mmhgroup.com.